0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today we are exploring a theme, a period, an empire, a people. Gosh, I don't know where to start. But the important point is that we haven't done it before. We are thinking today about the Vikings, surely one of the most important subjects in all of maritime history. Now, there are a great deal of challenges posed by the history of the Vikings. The term Viking itself has changed meaning over time, originally meaning robbers and used to describe coastal raiders. But now we have this far more broad term of a people who lived in Scandinavia, but who then spread out across most of Northern Europe, and as you will hear, beyond, from around 700. And then they flourished for 700 more years, an immense period of time. And in that period comes a warning when learning about the Vikings. The Vikings of 1400 Sweden, for example, were significantly culturally different from their ancestors 700 years earlier, just as Vikings living in different parts of Europe, but at the same time, enjoyed significantly different cultures whether it was in Scandinavia, Ireland, England, Iceland or beyond. Yes, they fought and conquered violently, but they also traded and settled and farmed and learned and entertained and negotiated and created and wrote and loved. So to do this period justice, you need to think about complexity. But at the same time, of course, you need to bear in mind that they spoke the same language, Old Norse, and that they shared many aspects of a vibrant, complex and common culture. They were a unique and distinctive people. To find out more, I spoke with Torres Ske, one of Norway's most acclaimed historians, having written several prize-winning and best-selling works of medieval history. As a historian, he's known for a thrilling style and the way he challenges traditional, nation-oriented historical narratives. His latest book, The Wolf Age, The Vikings, The Anglo-Saxons and the Battle for the North Sea Empire, was a bestseller in Norway. It won the prestigious Steen Award and is the first of Torres' books to be translated into English. Here is a man with a gift for bringing to life the backstabbing, plotting, bribery and warfare of this period and for helping you think about the whole Viking era in a new way. I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Here is Tore. Tore, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, it's a pleasure um so the vikings when when did you first become interested in this this entire period i mean you're norwegian i'm assuming you're taught about this all at school
1: uh, yeah it's uh it's hard to say because it's a very long time ago in my early childhood probably somehow uh probably started out as you know like young kids are interested in they have different faces they're interested in dinosaurs the old pyramids and so on and and vikings uh yeah. is is one of those uh so uh i'm actually uh, not uh, an expert in in the um, in the viking age like uh, as an academic i am a medieval historian so 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 uh, i've written books before about the later later period so for me uh, this book uh, was a, was um uh, something of an experiment going back to uh to an age earlier than the one i'm familiar to working with
0: yeah. Um, did you find that particularly challenging because there were fewer sources, I suspect? Yes, it's it's uh,
1: quite challenging to write about Scandinavian history in this period because we have almost no written evidence at all. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why my book turned out to be so, uh, let's say, internationally oriented, because I I uh, It started out, actually, the idea started out as a biography about the Norwegian Viking King, Olaf Haraldsson, And I very soon uh, f- found out that it's very hard to write a book like this. Uh, b- that's um, based solely on Scandinavian sources. So I had to look abroad and then this whole uh, Anglo-Saxon world opened up for me, uh, for my eyes. So, so it's... Uh, it's a very different story when you when you leave Scandinavia and go to to Christian Europe at the same time. Very different sources.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, interesting what you say about the sources. I mean, a lot of the sources which we have for the Scandinavian period are are from much, much later, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating for an historian because we have these amazing sagas. Uh, which are, uh, of course, uh, very detailed and very colourful. And they have all this... They explain in detail what everyone looked like. They, they they relate conversations word for word. And they have all these amazing scenes. And the problem, of course, is that they are uh, written down perhaps 200 years or so later than the events that they describe. And perhaps we... Can best describe them as something like a western movie or something. Uh, in the same way as a, as a spaghetti <laughs> western depicts the old west, uh, it's it's uh, it has some truth to it, but it's very uh, it's very imaginative and uh, paints a fairy tale like picture of a past that really never existed. So, uh, so so, those sources are very difficult to, to use as an historian because there's really no method in figuring out what part of the information is trustworthy and what's constructed by the, by the writers of the sagas. So we have to use other yeah. methods to find reliable information.
0: And the writers themselves are characters, and you start off by, um, with, with an extract or talking about Snorri Sturluson. Um, he's he's a fascinating character, isn't he?
1: Very yes. It's like the Shakespeare of, of of medieval Scandinavia.
0: Yeah, I mean he's 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 known as the most the most kind of colourful, the most detailed. Tell us a little bit about about what he wrote. Well,
1: he he's uh, he's responsible for a huge part of the information that we have uh, of of medieval, uh, especially medieval Norwegian history uh because he wrote uh uh the so-called heimskringla which is a collection of kings sagas where he uh started out writing about uh, the ancient uh, mythical past of scandinavia relating uh mythology and and, and fairy tales and then he 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 uh, included that in history that also includes a lot of historical uh, kings uh and ended uh right before he, he himself uh was born. Uh, so so it's it's like this huge historical novel with a lot of uh historical information in it. Uh, it's a very uh, it's a piece of literary art, and it's also a very important historical source, although difficult to use
0: yeah and um once you've kind of got your your head around these sources there are there are certain well there are very many different types of questions we can ask of the Viking period, but I suppose one of the most basic ones and perhaps the most interesting is why did they leave? Scandinavia what was going on what what caused the Vikings to get in their ships and to start exploring the world
1: yeah uh yeah well that's that's the huge question isn't it and it's it's probably the 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 questions that most historians have tried to answer in the last 200 years in in Scandinavia as well and there are, there's of course a lot of different uh explanations for that um But I want to start out by saying that uh, to some degree, this whole notion of a very particular age that we call the Viking Age, which was very different from the age before and after, is is also part historical construction. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. what the Vikings did was not so different from what their predecessors had done before. And it was not so different from what people elsewhere in, in... in, in europe did uh, the aristocracy of anglo-saxon england who many of them themselves uh, had had scandinavian ancestors by the way uh, behaved in much of the same way like plundering and warfare for for um, uh, getting resources was an integral part of european economy at the time so so the vikings fit into a broader Uh, historical context than what is really easily perceived when we just think of the Viking Age as this very special period. Uh, That being said, um, it it, it is a period that stands out in a way because of the uh, the, uh, intensity of this activity. Uh, And it's very interesting because uh, uh, because it has been so mythologized later, but I think the basic question is that they were after money, they were after resources in the form of silver money. So you can say that in in this period you have intense power struggles within Scandinavia, uh, and you have concentration of power in fewer and fewer hands, you have these dynasties forming and slowly you can see the emergence of the structure that we can still see in Scandinavia today, where you you have a Denmark and a Sweden and a Norway starting slowly to form. And the whole political system was um, in a way dependent on the influx of silver because uh, the Viking warlords and the Viking kings, they were, uh they, they needed silver to control their men. So they, they based their power on uh the distribution of silver from warfare uh among their uh their loyal supporters. Uh, and this of course created this whole culture of uh leaving and plundering and uh, and, and doing whatever was necessary to get silver. Uh, so, I think that 's a very important part of the of the equation here
0: it's it 's interesting it you talking about the the need for silver there to kind of keep everything going reminds me of the Spanish Empire in the sixteenth century, which was driven by their need to get silver from South America and that essentially funded the, an empire um, and when I was um you know thinking about the Vikings the other day it 's amazing how many themes are similar to empires that subsequently follow. There is mass migration, there is colonialization, there is empire, there is slavery, there is this thirst for money. Yeah. Um did those sort of themes of empire, you know, sort of strike you as you were writing it?
1: Yes. Uh, what struck me was the was how, how timeless much of this seems and how 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 universal sure. it is. Yeah. And um and um uh yeah and and how uh much the vikings look like lots of people before and after them and also people today uh many places and what also struck me when you when when you look really closely and you zoom in and you look at, at at the politics and the warfare of the day uh like for me it reminds me of of the middle east today you know you have you have these chaotic situations with uh, no central government's man uh, that that's able to uh, to uh, uphold some sort of uh monopoly of, on violence and you get all these groups forming alliances shifting alliances um in a, in a very business like way so it's um uh no the the Vikings are 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 so much more interesting when you, when when you look beyond the cliches that so often comes with that with with the term.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The um, I mean it, when you, the the comparison with the Middle East is interesting because there's there's a, a curious mixture of strength on the one hand and weakness on the other. So the strong move into the areas of of weakness, and it was very much the same with the Viking period. So, w- when um. That you know, the Vikings started attacking the Anglo Saxons. It's worth emphasising that the Anglo Saxons were, you know, fragmented and pretty weak dynastically, weren't they?
1: Yeah, they were. They, they were. Their society was in many ways rather uh, similar to, to to Scandinavian society at at the same time. But but of course, the 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 the, the, the main difference was that you had. Uh, I don't know if it's correct to call it a state apparatus, but you have you you, you had. Um, an apparatus in place in England that was, for its time, very sophisticated uh, and that controlled uh, a monetized economy. Uh, so, you ha- so, so, so so the Anglo-Saxon kings were among the richest in Europe. Uh, England had gone through some sort of, uh, I suppose you can call it an economic miracle uh, in the decades before the area that I depict in my book. Uh, making it very rich, and 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 uh, the, the the Anglo-Saxon kings used this wealth, this silver silver wealth, to to uh, stay in control and dominate society. So they 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 would basically take control of the issuing of coins. So so throughout Anglo-Saxon England, there was something like um, uh, perhaps seventy different royal mints. And this would issue millions and millions mm. of small silver coins. Uh, that was the only legal means of payment on the royal-controlled market towns in in England. So it was a f- it was a way of staying in power. And uh, uh, of course, this was also recipe for disaster because these very uh, same silver coins made made them a target. Uh, for the uh the Scandinavian warlords on the other side of the north sea uh, that that was very much in need of of money themselves and they would they would uh uh they would start off on plundering expeditions but gradually this became more and more systematized and um, and structured and you had you had huge Scandinavian war machine uh that was basically in existence just to get an uh, money in uh, in plundering expeditions and and tribute from the Anglo-Saxon kings
0: I loved the story um, about the, the Viking who'd gone to get baptised um, because if he got baptised, then he got a valuable robe. <laughs> and uh, he, he, blurts, he, gets, he gets given a rubbish robe. Um, I'm not sure where this is. Is it in Rouen? Um, no, it's... it's um, uh, well, you tell us the story, but it was, it's very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a story written down
1: by a, a German monk. Uh, and it's a funny story, and it was meant to be funny, uh, uh, which makes it very interesting. Because because obviously this monk uh, wrote it this way because uh, his audience, which was other monks, would recognize the situation. So he he, uh, he um, mm. uh, uh, so he describes uh german monks on the border area or between denmark and and, and germany uh in this in this um, uh, b- baptism expeditions where they would approach uh the the vikings let's call them the vikings the the, the, inhab- the, the heathen inhabitants of, of denmark and uh and they would be, get baptized in mass ceremonies in, in, in a river and of course uh among uh or one of the main reasons for their baptism was that they they would uh, see, seen from the danish points of view they uh, is that they would uh, they would get uh gifts so called gifts uh so what a monk writing this story expresses is his is his um uh, observation that uh, uh even though the the the, the monks uh come back time and again and and uh really struggle to spread the word of god they soon realize that the the real motivation from the other side is just uh, material goods that comes with that uh, that come with with the baptism so i think that's a, that's a uh, that, that's an insight that says a lot about this age and 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 it's also quite yeah. timeless i think that, like ec- economy is a part of everything you know
0: yeah. I mean what happens here is that is that the Viking gets his robe and then complains about it and he blurts out that he never received such an ugly robe in all of the twenty times <laughs> that he had gone and been baptized. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um the um let's just talk about their ships. I was just taken by what you said about uh needing to see the Vikings as um within the context of what had happened before and that's very true of their ships so a lot of people think you know viking ships were kind of almost came out of nowhere and they just suddenly started making these extremely beautiful efficient ships but of course they built on the tradition of what had gone before all you know all of the anglos and the saxons and the dukes and everyone else who ended up in in england came by boat and they weren't too dissimilar were they
1: no, no, uh, and I think this is. Uh, I, I'm not a. I'm not a specialist on, on Viking boat archaeology, but uh, but I, I think the, the the differences between the Viking boats and uh, and and the boats that other people uh, had are uh, probably quite uh, exaggerated. And uh, I also think that we don't really know that much about. Boats other, in, in other places, so, 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 so it's, it's hard to say exactly what, what those looked like. Uh, but of course, for example, King Æthelred, uh, the Anglo-Saxon king, uh, that's one of the main figures in my book, uh, he had a, a huge war fleet uh, made with, with uh, uh, I think it was 200 warships or something made. These were probably quite similar to the, to the ships that the Vikings had uh, themselves uh and um uh i think what the, what what the what the Viking ships did was to combine the uh the the, the advantages of a rowing ship and a sailing ship so 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 th- you could have like th- they were quite large long ships so you could have perhaps a hundred people on board, and these would all be rowing uh with huge oars on the side and this gave the ships uh at tremendous speed uh and and made them very suitable for warships and then they could also use sails for for long journeys
0: yeah it's like we need to know we need to know about what the ships were like in the three hundred years beforehand, from like the you know the four hundreds, the five hundreds, the six hundreds, that's yeah, the, that's I yeah. think a fascinating period. Yeah, and I think I think, yeah. I think
1: that, that they would have uh, very very good rowing ships uh, long before the Viking age, uh, and uh, and uh, the re- revolution was the combination of of, of uh, a sailing ship and a rowing ship uh, that, that that made the Viking ships
0: yeah and the and the way they made the planks you know um the these these they had a, a, a clever way of splitting the wood didn't they
1: yeah so they would have these expert woodcutters that would that would uh, really know how to work with 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 the wood to to make it very durable and and at the same time very very light uh and uh and they would be i don't know the uh, the the english term for for this in 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 what we call this, it it click it's uh, the way one plank is attached to the uh, attached slightly above the 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 one yeah. under it, uh, and you make like a chain of planks that way. And and uh, this construction proves to be very durable, very flexible, uh, and 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 very light at the same time, which was uh, of course uh, one of the key
0: explanations for why these ships were
1: so effective.
0: Yeah. a word kind of comes to mind whether it's in danish or norwegian or swedish i'm not sure but it's the word for snake which was used to describe the ships and it it really helps you imagine the way they moved through the sea um almost like a sea snake so so the the key thing to understand with the viking ships is they're not rigid they're they're really flexible
1: yeah yeah they uh they're really flexible and 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 um uh, to return for a, for, a, for a brief second on the source material here, uh, the, uh, w- one of the main categories of sources from inside of Scandinavia uh, during this period um, are the the, the so-called skaldic poetry, the 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 poems uh, created by uh, sometimes powerful politicians themselves, but more often by professional poets in their service. And it's striking how many of these poems uh, is about sea voyages and descriptions of ships. They were very, very the ships. I mean, were very, very important for in this culture, and they were immensely proud of them and and thought they were very beautiful. They have all these different metaphors where where, where the um, uh, where the ships are compared to. Uh, snakes and birds and different animals and um, and mythical beings so so uh, they had a very uh, close relationship to to the ocean uh, uh, and and to the ships and to the, to the concept of traveling on the ocean it's very important for for Scandinavian yeah. culture
0: and also their abilities go up rivers i I remember when I was a university student I must have been nineteen and I was doing a course on the Vikings, and um, they were talking about how the, the shallow draft of the vessels allowed them to go go up rivers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes kind of sense. And then I found out that they attacked Paris. Yeah. And that kind of blew my mind. It's like, oh, my God, you can, you can really get inland, and it's that extraordinary um, breadth. So let's just talk a little bit about where the Vikings went, because it's mind-blowing how far <laughs> they got. Yeah
1: yeah it it really is um well uh they went really really far in all directions so of course they uh they they famously uh colonized uh many islands in the in the north sea and uh, and, and the, the coastline of greenland and from there they they discovered uh, what they would call Vinland, uh, which is uh, present day Canada or America. Uh, so, so that's uh, that's the furthest point in their exploration to the west, and uh, they also traveled very far to the south. They they uh, they went to the North African shore uh, in present day Morocco and uh, all that, uh, and into the. Uh, Mediterranean, where they would uh, g- visit Byzantium, from from uh, from that side, and go all the way into present-day Turkey. Uh, and uh, then, of course, it was the eastern river roads, which I myself find actually the most fascinating, the way that these rivers um, that uh, crosses this uh, that that cross the steppes of of Russia. And links the uh, the uh, S- uh, Scandinavian areas to the Black Sea and the Azov Sea, uh, like a labyrinth uh, almost. So, so uh, the the Scandinavians traveling east would use slightly different boats. The boats would have to be very. Uh, they, they would have to be dragged over land, so they would have to be very light and uh, and 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 uh, slightly different from the, from the larger vessels that they used to cross open ocean in the west. And they would gradually find their way down to Byzantium, Constantinople, but also all the way to Baghdad, actually. So, so, so uh, their knowledge of the yeah. world was 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 of course. Huge and grand.
0: Yeah. I love the idea of, um, you know, emphasising about the Vikings being traders. And in this period, the, the one thing that people traded, you know, apparently more than anything else, to get your head around it, is other people. And slavery was so important to the Viking economy. Um, I, I was fascinated by the fact that one of the, the, the biggest sort of slave centres, slave markets was in Dublin.
1: yeah yeah uh, I think um, the slave economy was really important of course of course Viking society in Scandinavia was a slave society where uh, perhaps a quarter or almost a quarter of the populations were slaves in Scandinavia so this was this was from old part of, of, of the Viking culture and uh, uh there were large slave markets around, uh, in the world that that the Vikings would uh, partly develop, and 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 uh, ex- some of them existed prior to to Viking activity, and they would sort of connect into them. So so uh, uh, there were some in the Christian world as well. There were, for example, one in Normandy uh, as late as in the early thousands. Uh, there, there's a, a trustworthy source uh, telling us slave market in in Christian uh, no, uh, Normandy, uh, but but the, the main uh, the the main markets were in the Muslim world. So you had you had a, a rule, a, a religious rule in the Muslim world, uh, saying that Muslims cannot be used as slaves by other muslims so this uh, uh, of course created a market for uh, the importation of people from other regions that could be used as slaves and vikings were very active in this trade uh, especially in the east but also in the west where of course spain at this time was uh, was a muslim power uh, the cordoba caliphate so you would have you have vi would have Viking uh, expeditions going on uh, going uh westwards and eastwards from Europe and the, they would they would do what Vikings are very famous for doing, which was uh raiding and pillaging and uh, working as mercenaries for local lords and, and of course they would take prisoners and these prisoners would then uh be sailed off or rolled off and and sold in in mainly muslim harbors
0: yeah it's the um, the the sort of the the way that slavery encouraged international trade and communication i think is fascinating but what about what about the end of the period where did it all go what happened why why did why did the uh, this this wolf age dwindle it away well um
1: i think uh it mainly has to do with the uh the the concentration of political power in scandinavia where you had powerful dynasties uh taking control of scandinavia and uh, and this would be able to prevent to prevent uh rivals from Uh, from acting uh, as vikings and to to go abroad and and return with huge amounts of silver Uh, and and of course uh, a large part of viking activity uh, viking warfare and plunder of course happened inside of scandinavia so with 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 uh, more powerful kings in place in scandinavia able to um, to dominate their surroundings in a more effective way than uh, had been possible before, uh, it became harder to to um, operate as a freelance mercenary uh, as the Vikings uh, uh, originally were. Uh, also, at the same time, of course, it, it it's it's connected to the fact that. Scandinavia turned Christian, and you had you you had it became part of. But by the end of the Viking Age, the Christian kings ruled Scandinavia, and they uh, and and you had a Christian church organization growing all over Scandinavia, uh, actively working to prevent random spurs of violence um, as they would see Viking activities. So you had you had different forces working against uh or making it harder and harder to 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 do what the Vikings did
0: well it's a it's a fascinating period you've done uh, wonderfully well making it come alive um, thank you so much for talking to me today
1: thank you so much for having me it was fun
0: very many thanks indeed for listening today now if you are listening on an iPhone do please take the time to review us in the podcast app, it's super easy, just scroll down to the bottom, hit the number of stars, hopefully five and tell the world what you think this is hugely important in helping to spread the word about the podcast so we can do our job, which is to teach the world about the importance of the sea in our shared past please also take the time to check out the Mariner's Mirror Podcast's YouTube page, which is some Truly wonderful and innovative videos, bringing the maritime world to life as never before. Please find us and follow us on social media, but above all, please join the Society for Nautical Research. It doesn't cost very much, but your contribution will go towards supporting this podcast, publishing the Mariner's Mirror quarterly journal, and towards preserving our maritime past. You can join and find out what we've been up to for more than a century at snr.org.uk